Welcome to Future of Tech, hosted by Avishai Sharlin, Division President of Amdocs Technology. In this podcast, Avishai sits down with some of the most innovative minds in technology to learn how they are disrupting the present and what kind of impact they hope to have in the future. From the machine learning programs that are solving some of the world's biggest problems to what AI can do to help fight biological bottlenecks in human thinking, no topic is off limits. So sit back, relax, and maybe take some notes because what you hear on this show might just be a glimpse into the future. How should businesses properly utilize a CFO? Today's guest is Ronit Mayor, the Chief Financial Officer at the insurance and banking software provider Enix. With nearly two decades of CFO experience, she is in the perfect position to talk to us about the intricacies of the CFO position and how it's changed over the years. On this episode of Future of Tech, Ronit explains how in successful businesses, the role of the CFO stretches far beyond mere budget management and into other essential strategic aspects within the company. She also gives new CEOs some valuable advice about hiring a CFO and building a strong partnership with that person. Enjoy the episode. Future of Tech is brought to you by Amdocs Tech. Amdocs Tech is Amdocs's R&D and technology center, paving the way to a better connected future by creating open, innovative, best-in-class products and continuously evolving the way we work, learn, and live. To learn more about Amdocs, visit the Amdocs technology page on LinkedIn. Hey, Ronit. Hey, good afternoon. So, Ronit, it's the, I think, one of the only episodes we have a CFO with us. And probably I will have some basic questions to you about, you know, what, not, not necessarily about what CFO is doing, but, you know, what CFOs are doing with the startups. But we'll take it yeah. step by step. Let's start a bit with knowing you uh, more. Can you share with me your journey, how it all started? I'm an industrial engineer in my profession. I learned that because I didn't know what I want to do when uh, I'll be a grown-up, but I did know that I'm very analytic. It sounded to me like uh, this is the right path to go, right thing to study, because you actually don't really learn anything in industrial engineering, not deep diving into anything, lots of math, statistics, different topics. You learn a lot of many things which was good for me because it opens the, uh, the door to see a lot of things. After I graduated, I got a call from a guy I didn't know back then. His name uh, is Dov Moran, which in Israel is currently very known, and told me, come and visit me. I want to talk to you to offer you things. He just opened the uh, university book, the student books. That's how he got to me. That's how the journey started with a meeting with a guy that when we met, other than the fact that he made a great impression, he didn't really even know to tell me what he has to offer me. He was the CEO of a company called M Systems, which later on became the company that invented USB flash drive. And he told me, come join, let's see what you'll do. I like you, you like me. Let's, uh, it seems to be working well. I joined and 
again, from different reasons. A year after I was already the CFO of M Systems, which was already a public company traded in NASDAQ. So that's how my professional journey started. I started with being a CFO of a NASDAQ traded company at the age of 26, which is not very standard. Today would never fly. Like today, no one would have agreed to it or allowed it. Not the, not the auditors, not the lawyers, not the bankers, no one. But I'm speaking 96. So it was many, many years ago. Everything was much easier back then, much less regulation. And I've been in the company for 10 years. Company grew from $10 million revenues to a billion. So it was an amazing ride. And selling hardware, which is always more complicated from an operational point of view, gross margins, inventory. That's where I learned the business, the finance side. We sold the company to SanDisk. And from there, I did uh, three more companies, completely different types. Before running into the new company, I, I just, while you were speaking, you mentioned very honestly the fact that today no one will give, you know, someone who is 26 years of age to run a public company. But based on your experience and based off the knowledge that you've gained since then, would you today? Go with a 26 years of a student that just graduated to an IPO. If you'll feel after a one hour discussion that she's a great person. Well, if you're asking me, and that's, that's why I'm me and Dov Moran is Dov Moran. Seriously, I wouldn't. But, you know, other people take different risks and see different things. But seriously, today... The requirements from a CFO of a public company are much more rigid, structured. I really think it would be very, very hard and close to impossible. But again, I mean, we're speaking really long time ago. Yeah, it was a different era, different rules. And yet I think that in many, in many aspects, this is the unicorn season, we see that uh, entrepreneurs always break something. So, uh, you know, they challenge the ecosystem. They are doing things that uh, were never done before. And probably this is also an, an angle that uh, needs to be explored. I'm not sure that, uh, as, as you rightfully said, you know, CFO is the first place, but, but for sure, many of the founders that I'm speaking to and maybe of the CTOs and the entrepreneurs are young people. That in a normal situation, you know, will take them decades before they will reach a position that they can make a big change and they, they are not waiting and they, and they are pushing the, um, the ecosystem to uh, the new places. I think that uh, one of the things is having a combination of capabilities, experience in the company. I completely agree with you that today many of the CEOs and founders are first-timers. I'm sure uh, that one of the secrets of success for those that succeed, we know many do, do not succeed, but for those that succeed is the ability to know to choose the right people, to go with them, to do the journey with them, to have the right combination of smart people, experienced people, which, you know, it means many times to hire someone that will work for you that is different culture, probably sometimes older, or 
much younger, but with different benefits. I think the combination of having different types of people is very important. So we'll come back to it. And, and I was kind of uh, stopping you while you were describing. So M-Systems pioneering yeah. the industry into the USB and, and, and what then? Actually, I continued with Dov Moran. He um, established a new company called Modu. It was a very interesting company. Uh, we developed a completely new type of uh, phone, a small phone. The uniqueness was one small phone with many jackets around it for different purposes. We started it when iPhone came out, which was completely the opposite idea. iPhone is bigger and having everything inside one phone. It was five amazing years, very interesting. In Israel, we developed a phone that actually worked, which back then was, was not an easy thing to do. A lot of interest for many reasons. Luck, not having luck is one of them. Modu didn't succeed. So uh, we closed the company like about five years afterwards. In Modu, after being 10 years of being CFO, heavily invested in all the financing side, I wanted to do more on the business side. So uh, I was corporate development. I wasn't a CFO which from my side was very, very interesting. A lot of transactions, negotiations. So really traveled a lot, got to better understand the business. And later on in the next roles that I did and do until today, brought me to the situation where I understand the huge importance that the CFO role has to be involved also with business. The combination of the two of understanding the business and the finance side, I think, for a company is very important. You know, not to be just on the financing side, counting the expenses or taking care of fundraising, but also working with the company and the management on growing the business, understanding the business, understanding the customers, their needs, the market. Modu, unfortunately, uh, didn't succeed. The stories of what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And Modu, for sure, the closing of Modu was an important experience. And afterwards, I was in, in another high-tech company, more services and software, and now in Ernix, which is a SaaS fintech, selling to insurance companies and banks, providing a platform that allows them to manage and personalize their product offering to their consumers, AI, machine learning, digital channels. By the way, another advantage that the CFO has. Numbers are numbers uh, everywhere. Sorry? Numbers are numbers everywhere. <laughs> well, I would say <laughs> uh, this is exactly what I'm trying not to, that, you know, we're not just numbers. Numbers is a very important uh, part, but business is not very different even if the technology is very different. So one of the advantages CFO do have is the ability to move between industries and different types of markets, even if the technologies are completely different, when the technology people have less flexibility than us, which from my side is a great advantage because the whole tech industry is relevant for me, which is, which is great. Walk me through what earnings are doing step by step. So there is an industry, existing industry, that was there for many years. 
and Ernix is trying to disrupt it with a new financial model or with a new technology or both? So I agree, and it's an interesting question. So I'll talk about the insurance uh, industry, which is also the bigger market for Ernix. We all see what's happening today in the insurance market. There are many new insure tech companies. We know just from Israel, Lemonade and Hippo, that are disrupting the industry. The old world that people wanted car insurance and picked up the phone and spoke with their uh, insurance agent, got a proposal and bought the insurance is no longer there. People are not willing to do that. They don't want to call anyone. They want everything in a digital channel. They want to get many proposals and they want the proposal to fit them what they need and when they need it. And that requires a lot of adaptation from the old insurance companies, not only in the way they work and think, also even in their IT systems that are usually very heavy systems that any change to do, to make any change can take months, not even speaking about changing the system, but just a new competitor came in, COVID came in, and you need to adapt your pricing strategy in the market. Just to make a change in the system can take the months. The new disrupting companies, the insurtech companies came into the market, showing them how it can be done in a faster, personalized digitized way. What Ernix is doing, we're actually go, our market is what you call the older insurance companies, and we help them with our technology, our know-how to give a fight for these companies and actually to move into the 21st century and to be able to give their consumers what consumers are looking for. Now, obviously, this market is heavily regulated. How do you work over there? Are you now... Yeah. Because as a SaaS company, you know, you don't have a specific location on one end. On the other end, you do need the regulation. So how does it work? So actually, the fact that it's a heavily regulated market is something that we see as an advantage because our platform was designed to allow them to meet their regulated requirements. Everything is audited. They make a decision to change the pricing. It varies between the different geographies, but in many cases, When you quote someone, you need to know why you quoted it. You need to know what were uh, the parameters and the reasons you gave that quote. Through our system, they know because there's an algorithm behind it that gives the quote. And also they know that it would be consistent between all the quotes that they gave with the different parameters. So actually our system supports their regulatory requirements. It's a very flexible one, so it can allow them to adapt to different regulatory requirements in different markets. So that's from the product side. From the company side, it is affecting earnings and the way it is being managed. As highly regulated customers, they need their suppliers, and in particular companies like us, which we provide to them a mission-critical system, that we will be working according to their rules in, in many aspects. Clearly, security, which is a major issue, but also the way we manage our suppliers, certifications, regulatory. So the company has to be managed and run 
in a good way, very auditable. I'll say that for me as a CFO is a benefit because... Um, Makes life easier. Exactly. Now, I would like to pick your brain and kind of uh, jump into uh, a topic you've mentioned earlier about the mixture of uh, someone with experience and someone that is an entrepreneur. And to ask you, a CFO position is not the first choice if I'm a founder. I will look for a CEO. Probably I will look for a CTO. At what point do you think a company needs to look for a CFO as opposed to the sister or the brother doing bookkeeping? There's like the standard answer that is related, you know, once the company reaches a different, a certain milestone of revenues or cash holding, uh, you know, you would hear from different people, 10 million revenues, ARR, 10 million, 25 million. You know, if you're thinking you're two years before an IPO, then you need a CFO. The most important one is when the CEO is mature enough to have a CFO in the company. I've seen it uh, with friends in many cases where, you know, the investors, the board, they tell the CEO, go get a CFO. So he goes and hire a CFO. But when they start working together in the CEO's view, all he thinks that he got is a glorified controller. And if that's what the CEO is looking for, it will never work. If they're not willing to have the CFO as a partner working in on the business, on the uh, strategy, the five is work plan to be involved in the company, in the decisions, and not just, you know, doing the budget at the end, the beginning of the year and making sure that uh, people meet the budget. If they're not ready for that, and, and it's not easy. It's not an easy thing for a young founder to understand that he needs a partner and not just someone that uh, will manage the budget. And when they are ready for it, that's when it's time to bring the CFO. I agree with you. I think that the big difference is between someone who is like just managing the books and someone who is becoming like an, another partner, another founder. Yeah. While you were thinking, you know, it stirred my kind of line of thought that 90, if not more percent of the CFOs I know are women. The percentage of Women CFO is significantly higher than other and than other roles. That's for sure. I mean, we all know that you you where do you expect to find the women CFOs? It's in the CFO HR, sometimes marketing. Unfortunately, very few CEOs. Although we are starting to see it in the last couple of years, we are starting to see uh, women CEO, women founders, which is it's great. Not just because it will do good for women. I think it's actually doing good for the business. Also, by the way, an issue of combination. It's not, it shouldn't be all women, but I think that having a substantial portion of women in the company and also in the management is a good balance the company will only benefit from. I know that you are heavily engaged in uh, propelling and helping women in the industry. Can you share some of the work and activities you are doing in this domain? The more formal things that I'm doing is I'm a mentor in uh, in an uh, organization called Women to Women, which is uh, an organization established by um, people that got out of 8200 uh, army unit. 
It's a mentoring for women, for leadership for women, younger women. I think we have a group of like 50 mentors, senior people in the, in the industries, actually. It's not only one industry. It's, you find there are senior women from all around the, the country. The organization is choosing each year 50 mentees, young women that want to get into this program, that want to become leaders uh, in the industry. And we meet them and we talk to them. We listen to what it is. Usually each comes into this program with a certain question or a need. There's something that, that they want to resolve to progress. But from my experience, I think I've done like five rounds, five years already. It is always getting to a much wider thing than just the initial uh, topic that they had. We learn from that as well. You always learn from other people, from hearing their hesitations, consideration, their experience, even seeing them, how they progress during the year that uh, we work with them. And for this, bless you and, and don't stop. And, and we need more. And thank you for pushing. Now, I would like to come back to, um, to what you've mentioned earlier. So let's assume I've just launched a new startup. I'm not ready for a CFO yet. I know that there will be a time, as you mentioned, 10 million ARR, 20 million. There will be a time that I, I, I will need it. But we, we just started. Let's say we, we sold our first few prototypes and something like this. Are there lessons or recommendations to those founders when it goes to finance that they need to follow the, like as the initial steps or, or the things that uh, will assist them in, yeah. in the future? Well, actually, the first thing I'll say is what everyone will say. But in this case, I think it's the right thing. They, first of all, they need to protect the cash flow. Luckily, I didn't face that, but... There's nothing worse for a CEO to be in a position that he's not sure if he'll be able to pay the salaries at the end of the month. Nothing can be worse than that. It's a stress that no one should face. So this has to be protected. Actually, the last couple of years, this one was an easy one. I mean, money was so, so much available that it wasn't a big challenge. But we know it's already changing and we know it will change and they need to take care of that. That's one thing. I think I would also do a one to three years plan, like a detailed one-year plan, also a three years plan. I can tell you for sure one thing, reality will never, never, never be what they had in the plan, never. But just the process of having a plan forces you to think, to think what it is that you want to, to get to, put some numbers in Excel to see that, that it makes sense. The market, the prices, how fast can you grow? How many people do you need to do that? The thought process of preparing the plan is very important. And I would recommend doing that. The third is hiring the right people. We spoke about it before. Probably the most important thing for success of a company, like the first one is for survival. If you have cash, it guarantees survival. It doesn't guarantee success. If I need to choose one thing that will increase chances for uh, success, nothing can guarantee success, of course, is having the right people, including knowing, and it's sometimes not easy, hiring people that are smarter and more knowledgeable in their specific professions. It's not always easy, 
but this is what CEOs need to do. Hire people either more experienced or smarter in specific topics. I think that the fourth thing I'll mention is have a supporting community. Have some friends, not people working in the company, friends outside to be able to consult with, to ask questions. It's, it's a very lonely role, CEO, very lonely, because you can never show that you're afraid. You can never show that you have hesitations internally in the company, but you have to have someone to lean on professionally, of course, and consult with. I think it's very important. And I couldn't agree more to all the points. Now, when someone wants like, to pick your brain about how should he split his budget in terms of R&D investment, so obviously there is a difference between a small company, a mid-sized company, but, but for a startup, would 20%, 50% of the budget going to R&D seems like reasonable later on to be replaced by... In the really early stages, it's going to be mostly R&D. I'm speaking more SaaS software. When it comes to a company that needs to develop hardware, it's becoming more complicated. If it's a software company, first stages, you have to have you know, mostly R&D. You'll also have someone that is thinking of the market, like market fit to see product market to analyze it. But by far, the biggest number will be R&D. The more you grow, then few things happen. And it depends. By the way, it depends not only on the size. It's also, uh, it depends on the go-to-market uh, strategy. If it's B2B, B2C, enterprise sales, it, it, it changes, it varies. But clearly, sales and marketing kick in. Product team is becoming important as well. A later stage, the the operational size, when you start, you understand you need to scale, that it's all of a sudden not becoming that easy, then the operational side is also becoming very important, making sure you have the infrastructure, the IT systems, just security, by the way. First, it's less alarming, but the more you have customers, and and today, again, mostly in the software companies, they touch so much data of their customers, Security became a major, major topic. Also, by the way, Amazon or whatever cloud provider is a major expense to, to think of. From uh, the experience you gained, today, majority of the companies are SaaS, are providing software through a, as a service. Do you see a big difference between being a CFO of a SaaS software-driven company and let's say the previous uh, business models? First of all, there are a lot of SaaS companies today. At the end of the day, the industry is still very wide. I, I also think that Israel, by the way, is stronger than others in SaaS companies. It depends. Like If you compare SaaS to software, to what used to be software on-prem, where you sold the software and then provided support, or completely different services that are being provided that are not related necessarily to, to, to a software, even if there is, at the end of the day, a software tool uh, somewhere. So yes, there is a difference, and I've learned it because when I joined Ernix, in the company, in the previous company, it was more software than SaaS. And before that, I was in hardware companies, which was completely different. So you need to learn different things 
related to SaaS, which are in different aspects. First of all, it's how the way the world looks at you, which is important because you go out and you need to look good on how you sell the company to investors. It's not the most important thing, but it is important. And SaaS has its own KPIs and performance metrics and multipliers, which are SaaS specific. So you have to learn that. I think that in many cases, it is justified. Like we mentioned ARR, which is the recurring revenues, which is the core thing that you have in SaaS. The fact that you have recurring revenues changes a lot the way you go after the market, the customers, and you maintain them afterwards. The whole concept is, it's not a one-time thing. You got the customer once and that's it, you're done. You have to maintain them. We changed the whole culture of the company and how you build the support, how you view your customers. Many companies are what's called today product like the growth PLG companies that they get in small into a customer. Many times, by the way, Monday is an example because the employees want Monday in. So it goes in small. And if it's going, doing well, it's growing significantly within the organization. The sale never ends. You have to know your customer, take care of it, learn what the customer needs are. It's a different way of work compared to the old way that you've sold it once and that's it. Got you. Now, you've mentioned the market today, booming, raising a lot of money, which uh, on one end is good, on the other end creates a lot of pressure on maintaining talents and hiring. Now, how do you find yourself obviously struggling like all of us, but what, uh, you know, secrets you can reveal of how to attract people and how to maintain them? First of all, it's a topic that has been so much discussed all over, and it is a major, major issue. I don't think we have like a, a secret that no other person knows, but I think that a statement that you hear a lot, which is, it's not getting them, it's retaining employees. That's the challenge. Not that I'm saying that getting them is easy, getting them on board, that's not easy as well. The real challenge, and by the way, the real pain is if you're not successful in retaining them because losing an employee is very damaging. Not, not only because you usually, by the way, you'll hire someone in a, more, in a higher salary, usually, but the loss of data and getting the new person up and running is so costly. I agree with those that say that it's not just the salary. It is important, of course. You need to pay reasonably. Making the employees feel that they matter, that they make a difference, that you allow them to grow internally. When it's a growing company, you have more opportunities to allow people to grow. We measure, for example, one of the things we measure is how much we make internal promotions. It's a parameter that we measure. And the more, the better, of course. Like when you have an open position of someone that is managing people, do you take someone from within or bring someone from outside? You can't always bring someone from within, but having someone from within is a major advantage. And we focus a lot on that, on educating them also, allowing them to grow and to make an effect. 
Interesting. Now tell me, during the years, you grew a family. How, how do you, how were you able to balance uh, between uh, work and life? <laughs> If my kids, if you would ask my kids, which are not really kids, I mean, the, my younger one is 16, they would have a lot of complaints. Probably they would be right. The way I managed the role, I did it in a way that I was very, very busy and invested a lot. I, I, and I still do. My view, okay? It's because it is very personal. The way I know how to do, to perform the role and how to perform motherhood and being part of a family, you always pay a price. You pay a price. The family pays a price. You just need to decide if you're okay with it. And not, you know, every, all the time thinking, wow, I've missed that, I've missed that. You just need to, to learn how to live with it and enjoy it. I will say one thing that is important. If you're getting into a very, very demanding position, make sure you have the right partner with you. Otherwise, I don't know how it's being done. If you don't have someone you can lean on and you know backs you up at home. You've worked in small companies, in big companies, you grew companies. Do you have a preference? There's the size and there's the stage of public versus private. Each has different advantages and disadvantages. I think that the mid-size private companies, which is where I am now and also in, in my previous role, for me, It's the perfect combination because it's not too small. So there's business, like there's something to do and to see challenges that are coming, which is not just R&D related, which is where I do best and where I can contribute most. But on the other hand, you are able relatively easy to make an effect. Like the time between you make a decision to change something and actually making it is shorter than in larger corporations. The difference between public and private for a CFO, it's very different between different roles. So I'm putting aside the pressure for being a CFO of a public company, which is something that every person needs to decide whether he wants to, to live with that or not. But from the business side, when the company is public, the balance in the view in the decision making between the short term and the long term is different from when you're a private company. When you're a private company, you can afford yourself to think more on the long, making the right decision for the longer term with less considerations of how the quarter will end. While when you are a public company, as much as you will say that you're doing everything you can for the long term of the company, at the end of the day, you have the conference call with the investors and you report how the quarter ended and the stock goes up or down and your employees see the stock goes up or down. It's very hard to ignore it. So you have to take into consideration also the short-term considerations, which are not always the right balance for the business. Now, if... You were going now to meet young women or young uh, people just graduating. Would you recommend them to go through the cycle of our entrepreneurship, opening a new company, or do you suggest that they will start working in a big company, learn how to work their way in the industry? What's, what's your yeah. recommendation? 
I think that it's better to have five, 10 years of experience in the market before you go entrepreneur in your company. But honestly, it's not a relevant question. Like if someone has an idea and, you know, has the pressure for it and the desire to do that and he wants to do it now, he'll do it now. If an entrepreneur will open an Excel and do the statistics of the chances to succeed, no new uh, company will ever be uh, established. You're right. I have this uh, machine that we've just developed. It's a new machine. It can bring you back to 1996. The phone rings. You just finished the academy. You know uh, who is going to be on the line. Would you say yes or no? Yeah. From where I am now, I would say yes. But there's something, I don't know if not fair in the question, but I'm looking back and overall I'm happy with what I've accomplished, both on the business side and on the family side. I know I've paid a lot of prices, but overall when I'm looking, I give myself a positive grade. Let's put it this way. So yes. Whether I would do something else and I would be today in a completely different uh, situation, which may have been better or not, I don't know. But to your question, yes. Very good, Ronit. I think that you should be proud. You did well. I'm very happy to have you as my guest in this episode. It was a pleasure speaking to you. Thank you very much for having me. For listening to Future of Tech. If you like what you heard and want more, make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. And if you have any comments or questions, feel free to write to our host, Avishai Sharlin, directly on LinkedIn. LinkedIn.